Is it possible that the fictional characters we love so much may be more real than we could ever imagine? And then we take a nice vacation to the shack. A small, cramped building in an isolated coastal town. It's supposed to be a getaway spot. A place to leave all your big city worries behind. But little does this family know. There's an entity watching from the darkness. An entity that only wants to be left alone. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a good day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing, whether you're at work, studying, doing the dishes, playing video games, or any of the other the only four things you're allowed to do in the world. Whatever you're doing, I hope it's grand. We got a ton of stuff to cover today, so we're going to get started right away. First off, running into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our live stream contributors. You're like, Jason, when's the last time we did a live stream? This is from 2020, running into Dead Rabbit Command. Everyone give it up for SK. Woohoo! Yeah, we! <laughs> he's all walking in. He's like, dude, I don't, I don't even listen to your show anymore. I gave you money three years ago. What happened was I found, I think I might have given all of these guys shout outs before. I found this list on my folder. It was live stream shoutouts from 2020. It was probably like a Thanksgiving special or something. It looks like it was from November 2020. So I, I, I'd rather err on the side of caution and give you guys a shout out. You guys might have got it before. It doesn't matter. What matters is you guys. So I wanted to make sure to give you a shout out. SK, you're going to be our captain or part of this episode. He probably doesn't listen to the show anymore. He's probably like sitting home watching the Big Bang Theory. And all of a sudden he appears in Dead Rabbit Command. He's like, what? Oh, no, not this show. I totally forgot about it. SK, you're going to be our captain or pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, that's okay. It really is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show of the year 2020. SK, let's go ahead and get this party started. I'm going to toss you the bunny bicycle. Everyone jump on board the handlebars as he pedals us all the way out of Dead Rabbit Command and takes us out to California. Eek, eek, eek. Eek, eek, eek. He's pedaling the bike all the way down to California. Specifically, we're headed to a place called La Puente, California. La Puente, California. First off, I got to give a big shout out to Sustained Disgust. The Sustained Disgust has recently compiled, recently a couple months ago, but I mean, that's still pretty recent. He's compiled the best conspiracy theory iceberg I've seen in years. Because it has the one feature I love so much, and it's one that a lot of the old ones lacked, is each entry on the iceberg contains a hyperlink. There are some that he couldn't find the links to, but basically it's just as obscure as every other conspiracy iceberg we've seen since 2016, 2017. But he's done the details. He's done the work of including the links so you can actually see what he's talking about. And I really wish more conspiracy theorist iceberg creators would do what he did. It's really easy to just throw a bunch of words on an image because you're copying them from other icebergs, right? You go, oh, the ocean and I will just copy that. 
God of the gaps never existed. I'll copy that. They'll copy these things. They'll just pass it off as their own work. So Stain Disgust has elevated the iceberg to the next level. And I recommend all you guys going and checking it out because I don't have time to go through and read all this stuff. Like if you guys find really cool stuff in the iceberg, send it over to me. I'll give you guys the sh- I'll give you guys the credit, you know, for finding it, and he'll get a shout out on that episode as well because there's just so much. There's hundreds of links on his iceberg, and it's fascinating stuff. And that's what one of the things we're going to be discussing today: an iceberg, an iceberg story. We're about to meet someone. We're going to call her Karen. We don't have her real name, but Karen. She said this story happened back when I was around six or seven years old, and it's in La Puente, California. We're all jumping off the bunny bicycle. SK can go back to watching his reruns of the Big Bang Theory until we bring out the carpenter copter. We're standing outside this house, and we see a little girl looking out the window. Karen says that she lived in this house, and she shared a room with two sisters. And one of the closets in the bedroom, probably the only closet in the bedroom, I think most bedrooms only have one closet, but... They had one of those cheap closets, you know, with, like, the sliding doors. And they're always, like, all rickety and stuff like that. Like, I, I just have a door that shuts. But they don't. <laughs> I'm basically closet shaming them. You know those old closets that you open up and it's, like, on the rollers on the bottom and they kind of fold outwards? What will happen in any given amount of time entropy exists the closet will pop off of the rollers so it won't work as well you can't really shut it you can kind of jerry-rig it for a bit you can kind of like put a little muscle into it all these girls are standing on each other's shoulders so they can get the right momentum but eventually they just go forget it. <laughs> forget it we're just gonna leave the closet open at all times karen said you know as a kid i had seen a couple of uh, paranormal events in my life in this particular house. Once. I saw a pair of shoes. Take a step. Take a step by themselves. <laughs> I guess I should have on that last page. You're like wow that's real paranormal Jason. As you're walking down the street looking at your shoes. The two empty shoes were sitting there. And they went doop doop. Like they moved like someone was in them. But no one was in them. Then. She said once. She saw she had a Barbie doll. She had a Barbie doll. Sit, let's say she doesn't say specifically where it was at, but let's say this Barbie doll is sitting on the dresser and it fell over. And then I guess I should finish these. You're like, Jason, it's not paranormal. Wait till I finish. You're like, wow, Jason, this show's really gone downhill. Maybe I'll watch the Big Bang Theory. The Barbie doll falls over, and then as Karen is looking at it. It sat itself back up. Which is interesting because you would think there's two ways you can do that. If I had a Barbie doll that tipped over, right? If it, let's say it's sitting, it's sitting position. So its legs are just straight out in front of it. And it tips over. Did the doll right itself back up in a sitting position, almost like an invisible hand grabbed it and then just put it back in its place? Like just leaned it back up? Or, that would be creepy. What's creepier, though? That, or the Barbie doll falls over, and then you see her arms reach out. Like, imagine you're sitting down, and you have to, like, put an arm to kind of brace yourself and then sit back up. Like, which one? Which one did it do? I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's paranormal. Both of them are quite odd. 
but I'm curious. I, I think I think you probably would have added that to you. <laughs> you probably would have been like, and then I saw her become fully animated and she got up and she righted herself and then she sat back down and froze. Maybe it was just like an invisible hand moved it. But she goes, I've seen some weird stuff in this house before as a kid. It definitely, I knew that stuff was impossible. I knew that stuff was paranormal. But on this particular night, me and my two sisters were sleeping in her bedroom with the perpetually open closet. And I woke up in the middle of the night. And she said that my bed was facing the closet. And I'm staring into the darkness. I've had it open many nights. This closet is not something that is constantly closed. So I'm used to it. I'm used to having this closet open to the point where it's not even spooky anymore. It's just a closet. Never seen anything weird in the closet. I'm staring into the darkness. And Karen sees a figure moving in the darkness of the closet. One of its hands is reaching around the frame of the closet. And its head is kind of peeking out from around the closet wall. So you can imagine if someone was in your closet, a human, their hands reaching around and them kind of craning their neck, looking out of the closet, looking specifically at Karen. This human, or humanoid, however you want to describe it, seemed to be illuminated from inside, from within. There was this orange glow emanating from its body. And he's just staring at little Karen, who's so terrified she can't even move. She can't even scream. She's just sitting there, and she sees this man in the closet, this orange glowing, faintly orange glowing, because like it's coming from within. It's like you can see it kind of glowing through the skin. This orange glowing, mildly glowing. <laughs> like that's a big deal. She's Peter Bet at this point. She's like, now if, if he was fully glowing, I probably would have pooped as well. Mildly orange glowing man. But here's the kicker, right? You think that's bad. You wake up in the middle of the night, there's a man in your closet. He's glowing. But what can make it even scarier? What can make it even scarier is the man in her closet was the Joker. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> what is the Joker? She said that this guy looked identical to the Joker from the 1960s Batman television show. Identical. <laughs> well, you know, except for the glowing orange and existing in the real world. It was the Joker. And he was staring at her from the closet, glowing, and she couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> that man was nowhere to be seen. She didn't have a red phone next to her bed. She said that she just kind of stayed there. She was so frozen and she saw this entity staring at her and she just rolled over in bed and shoved her face into the pillow, hoping it would all be over soon. And she said that she laid there for what seemed like forever. She was afraid that this thing was going to come out of the closet and get her. 
And when she finally moved the pillow away from her face, the sun was up. She told her parents that uh, the Joker... See, here's the thing. Like, that is a detail that you might want to leave out when you... Not when you post it online, because that's the most interesting thing about the story. I got a lot to say about that, but... I always see these horror movies where people call up the police and they're like, you got to help us. You got to help us. The Grim Reaper's here and he's eating the souls of my fellow classmates. We all graduated the year 1999 and we bullied that kid to death. Probably shouldn't have admitted that to the police. But please save us. This specter is floating around the house, killing us off one by one in very ironic ways. Linked to the people we were once in high school. The cops are going to hang up with you. Cops are going to hang up on you. You're lucky if the cops answer the phone in the first place in most jurisdictions nowadays. But they're going to hang up on you if you tell them that a werewolf has attacked you. They're going to hang up on you if you say vampires are laying siege to your house. So what you do is you call up the police and you go, there's a guy with a gun here. There's a guy with a gun. Get here really, really quick. He also hates police officers. He's running around talking about how fat and lazy they are. And then you give your address and then you go, oh no, here he comes. And he's saying a lot of horrible things about cops. And then you hang up and the cops will show up. And then the grim, I mean, obviously they're going to show up. They're like, all right, we're going to beat up a cop hater. And they get there and they see the Grim Reaper flying through the house. I mean, they might come a little underprepared. They may not have brought the local chaplain with them. But at least the police will be there. Maybe you can take one of their cop cars. That's what you do. You don't tell the police. And I watch these horror movies. Don't say there's a serial killer. He, we killed him and now he's killing us. He's from beyond the grave. Just tell him there's a dude here with a shotgun. Hopefully the police will show up. Here's a little tidbit too. I don't want to go too far off topic, but this is something I see it in every horror movie. I always have the same answer when people are trapped in the middle of the forest, being hunted by a monster when they're in a cabin. There's a ghoul in the floorboards picking them off one by one. Even if they're in a high-rise apartment building and there's some sort of paranormal menace or even a real-life gang of serial killers, all these horror movies, I always have... Whenever people watch a movie with me, I'm going to say it at some point in the movie. I say it all the time. I go, just start a fire. Just start a fire. If you ever are in a situation where you are... <laughs> situation where you're being attacked by paranormal hillbillies, whatever it is... Your cell phone doesn't work. You can't get a hold of anyone. The phone lines have been cut. Start a fire. Start a fire in the forest. Start it in the high-rise apartment. Because you don't need a phone for people to see the fire. People are going to see the fire. Someone's going to call the fire department. If you're out in the middle of the woods, you're being chased by this ghoul. Set the forest on fire. And run in the opposite direction. <laughs> I'm not saying you just stand there as the fire is burning around you. Like, what was the second part Jason said? I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember step one, set a fire. Apartment and house fires are perfect because fire alarms will go off. Authorities will be notified. If you're ever, like, in a situation where gangsters have surrounded your house, start a fire. Someone's going to call the police or the fire department. If you're in the forest, start a fire. If you're lost in the middle of nowhere and you're running low on supplies, you've lost all your water, you only have maybe a half a day's worth left of food, start a fire. Burn the forest down because then you, someone will probably see you. Otherwise, you're just going to be laying on the forest floor as porcupines are chasing you around. You're not getting very far because you're already laying <laughs> You're taking a nap. They're chasing you like, oh, man, I sure am sleepy. I'm going to lay down here for a little bit. The porcupines are all poking you. You're like, ah, I forgot I was running from them. Start a fire because then... You'll have people, like, see it. 
And they'll be like, there's a fire down there. They won't know you're there, but fire engines will show up to put out the fire. <laughs> and you just jump up. You're like buried yourself in a little pit. And you're like, thanks, guys. And they're like, what? You're like, oh, man, I've been trapped out here for weeks and I couldn't find any help. These porcupines are all over me. And they're like, what? Start a fire because people will always respond to fire. That's the same thing I always heard a long time ago. If you're ever being raped, don't say, help, I'm being raped. You say, help, fire, fire, because people are more like, this is true. I'm going to have to see if you're like, Jason, that's clearly not true. No, no, I think they did like a, an experiment or something like that. I remember reading an article a long time ago that if you say, help, I'm being mugged or help, I'm being raped or something like that, people are more likely to ignore it. But if you say, fire, fire, help, help, people will be like, what, huh? There's a fire come out there and you're just getting assaulted by the street gang. They're taking your money and you're like, oh, great. Now I'm going to get assaulted too. But... Yeah, they say call out for fire, and and I and I'm going. I'm just going a step further. Just start a fire. They're like Jason, you don't actually have to set anything on fire. No, if you're trapped by ghouls or by regular criminals or whatever, trapped by a lonely existence, you're like, oh, I don't know, Jason included this one just as a joke. You start a fire, and then people will come running to save you. What were we talking about? Oh yeah, Joker. So, anyways, that's what I'm saying. Let's go back a bit. She shouldn't have brought up the Joker part. Because obviously the parents are going to be like, you were dreaming. Joker is not real. Penguin, Catwoman, they're a little more believable, but not the Joker. She should have just said, because people are automatically not going to believe you when you're a kid and you said there's a monster in your closet. But it's more believable than a fictional character. The parents said, you're just dreaming. Of course that's not real. But she goes, I remember how bad my heart was racing and how hard it was for me to breathe during the entire thing. I was so terrified and the physical sensations told me that I wasn't dreaming. I've never had a dream like that before or since where I was having these huge physical sensations to it. So the Joker in her closet. And the reason why I think this is interesting, I mean, obviously I'm a huge Batman fan. <laughs> Some lame old Superman villain. It's like, and then Lex Luthor jumped out and be like, oh, whatever. I honestly think, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, because I do go off on tangents from time to time. I might have mentioned this. I have a theory that the character of Joker, or the Joker, is something older than the stories we did an episode a long time ago about is bugs bunny a native american deity i should do that episode as a classics or even a retro rabbit episode is that that was a really cool one and it was kind of the same thing like the idea that bugs bunny the, the the way that it was created and the way that it became popular it seemed very organic just like any other comic book character or cartoon character or whatever but it was that it was actually a Native American deity that rebirthed itself into the world through the creative minds at Warner Brothers. And I, the Joker, I, I have a bit of a conspiracy theory that the Joker is the same way. He was invented as a one-off. He was based on a, um, they, they just wanted a criminal, right? This is, you know, comic books. There wasn't a lot of continuity. People would just pop up for issues and, I, somebody saw this movie called, like, The Grinning Man or The Man Who Laughs or something like that. I'll put it in the show notes. I probably could have <laughs> looked it up, but 
There's a very famous old like black and white horror movie where the villain has this rictus grin where his his he has that frozen smile and his teeth are all exposed. They, they thought it was a cool visual. The artist who created the Joker thought that was a pretty cool visual. So they said, let's make a let's basically steal that idea, basically, is what they're doing. They're like, and next we'll make a villain called Marth Mater. He'll be a dad from another planet. They stole the idea of this grinning man. And created this character named the Joker. Totally supposed to be a one-off villain. At the ending, a building falls on top of him. He dies. His hand is like sticking out of rubble. He dies in that first issue. And then, before I went to press, the editor goes, You know what? Don't kill him off. And they're like, We already drew it. We already drew him under a pile of rubble. They go, eh, Just add a panel of some ambulance guy saying he's still alive. And so they did. It used to be that when you died in a comic book, you were dead for good. That was the rule. I know nowadays comic book heroes die constantly, but that wasn't a thing until the 80s with Jean Grey and X-Men, where they brought her back to life, and then they go, oh, let's just do this for everyone. Before that, when a character died, they were dead for good for 40, 50 years in comic books. So it was taken more seriously. So the Joker wasn't killed off in his first appearance and went on to be not just Batman's main adversary, but... One of the great villains of American culture. And he has changed throughout the ages. And that like a good literary character can do is be reinvented. He's far more flexible than a character like Darth Vader, who's very rigid. And he has basically three movies that depict him. And then you got, you know, all these other little side projects, stuff like that. Joker's been around for decades and sometimes he's just a criminal sometimes he's a chaotic agent of madness sometimes he can break the fourth wall he's one of those few characters that knows he's in a comic book but not all the time only sometimes it's super weird a character and he's evolved with the ages and he's dragged batman and the rest of the residents of gotham city with him as joker becomes more sinister batman becomes darker And I think that there might be something there. I think the force, the energy that the Joker embodies is older than the character himself. I mean, he was based on a movie character. You can go with the Joker. You can go back to like the character of Bugs Bunny, the story of the Jesters. Where does even that archetype come from? You know, you get the trickster gods like Loki and so forth. So the fact that she saw Joker in her closet, it, it, I mean, it's a side, it's a little like footnote to that theory. It's a little, you know, side story to, is the Joker actually a metaphysical entity? And that's the reason why it captures the imaginations of comic, even if you're not a huge Batman comic book fan. I mean, they just make movies called Joker. And I think there's something about it. I do think that there is something manifesting this joker energy and i've had this conspiracy theory for a long time it actually came about after heath ledger died very famous quote i actually was like i wonder if he ever took it back i wasn't able to find something jack nicholson really hasn't talked much about it but jack nicholson played the joker in the 1989 batman movie Heath Ledger famously, unfortunately, died shortly after filming The Dark Knight. He had already started working on another movie, The Imaginarium of Dr. Panarsis by Terry Gilliam. And he died of an opioid overdose. Accidental. 
right? They, the story was that he had a hard time snapping back from doing Joker, from being that character. He's a method actor. He lived that role. He was always on set as Joker. He was always that guy. Say he was a nice guy. <laughs> they say that he was a pretty nice guy, so he wasn't constantly like throwing dead rats in people's faces. But they said like when it was ready to go, he was he was he was there. He was the Joker. He was mentally ready to go. And um, you know, apparently there had been talks that he had a hard time switching from that mentality. You go from doing that to doing this weird. A magical fantasy uh, romantic movie, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnarsis. And he was having a hard time. Terry Gilliam was like, yeah, he expressed... I'll have to see if I can find that article, but apparently he expressed to Terry Gilliam he had a hard time switching out of Joker mode because he was in it for so long, so deep, that when he overdosed on opioids, they think it was an accident, and it was actually like a combination of meds. I think it was not just painkillers, but some benzos or something like that. Most likely, he was trying to take the edge off. He may have just been trying to get some sleep. But he was so lost in this mental stew of this character that he took too much. I mean, that's kind of what the going theory is on that. It's tragic either way, but what I thought was so fascinating was shortly after Heath Ledger's death, right? Death by drug overdose. Everyone believed that it was accidental. But the idea was that he was trying to calm his tortured mind. Jack Nicholson was asked about Heath Ledger's death. Because they both play in the part of the Joker. And you have this older actor and this younger actor in there. A reporter asked Jack Nicholson how he felt. It's kind of a kind of a slimy question, really. I shouldn't defend it. It's a pretty slimy question, but a reporter asked Jack Nicholson, how did he feel about Heath Ledger's untimely passing? And Jack Nicholson has had a three-word response to that question. He's only answered it a single time, and he's never elaborated what he meant when he said this to the reporter. The reporter asked, Jack, Jack, what do you think about the untimely passing of Heath Ledger after the role of the Joker? And Jack Nicholson replied, quote, I warned him. So what does that mean? I mean, we have no con. The only context we have is that they both played the Joker. It's possible that he knew Heath Ledger was into drugs. And he says, hey, buddy, you got to slow down on that stuff. going But we don't have that conversation. It is much more likely that Heath Ledger did talk to Jack Nicholson about the role of the Joker, about getting into it, because Jack Nicholson had done it best up to that point. Talking about the Joker, talking about getting a character and everything like that. And did Jack Nicholson warn Heath Ledger not to get too into the role? Because it's not just a role. You're tapping into something primeval. You're tapping into a force that has existed before the comic book, before the film, before written word. The essence of the Joker, the energy that makes that character so dynamic, exists outside of the creative mind. It's a real force. And it's dangerous. So I'm warning you. Be careful when you embody this character. It may not be a role you easily walk away from.
I don't know. You know, that's just a conspiracy theory I've had. I, I did something that popped in my head, you know, back after he had passed away, which would, I mean, it's been over probably 15 years. I've been thinking about that. That's what I'm saying. I might've mentioned it brief. I don't think I've ever gone into that depth on it. I obviously didn't have all my notes, like the name of the writers who came up with the Joker character and probably could have done a little more research on that. I've read all that stuff before. I just didn't have that stuff available as I'm recording, but I mean, it would make sense. I think some fictional characters probably do exist before the fiction, before it was actually written down, not just an archetype. It inspired the archetype. It inspired these things. And if these things are powerful enough, they can keep weaving their way in and out of culture. If all of a sudden everything was destroyed or just a massive setback, humanity had to build back from the beginning, I imagine another character, another trickster god, another chaotic villain who delights in the pain of the innocent, not just like a serial killer, but someone who finds true glee in chaos. They do it because it's fun, not because of any other sort of motive. That's the end result. This is fun. I think another entity like that would pop up in the mythology, in the cultures, because I think that is a force out there that still exists. If all of humanity was wiped out and it had to build up anew, new stories, new cultures, new religions, that entity would be replicated in the cultures, in the religions, in the people. And as societies change, it will change the form it takes. It may have just been a story of a trickster god that Vikings told around a warm campfire. Now they're making movies. Not Loki. That's different, but you know what I mean? Now that same trickster energy, that same creature that enjoys inflicting pain, just because there's no real reason. I think that that exists in some form. And in our day and time, if it was going to appear in a child's closet, if it wasn't going to appear before us, it would take the form of the Joker. But that's just a theory. I have that conspiracy theory. I've had it for a while. That went a little bit longer than I thought, but I do believe that we still have time for our next story. And if not, we'll just run a little bit long. Um, SK, go ahead and teleport back in as I toss you the keys of the carboner copter. We are leaving behind California. Fly us all the way out to Australia, mate. We're about to meet this young man. We don't have his name. We're going to call him James. Probably call him Jimmy here and there. James. When he was a kid, his parents bought this small shack near a very isolated coastal town. It wasn't, you know, anything super fancy. This was off-the-grid living for them. So, I mean, I think that pretty much is the definition of not fancy. He said it was about a three-hour drive from our home, so we would go there all the time. It was me, my mom, my dad, and my sister, we'll call her Rebecca. We would drive out to this shack and hang out. It was relaxing because we didn't have all of the hustle and bustle of the city life to deal with. We'd go out here, we're off the grid, you know, so basically no phones, no laptops. If you wanted butter, you better churn it. You wanted shoes, you better cobble it. They probably bought <laughs> They probably brought their own shoes. He's like, oh, "I'd really like some Air Force 1s, but I got to wear these. I got to wear these pine cone twos. Homemade shoes." 
He goes, for entertainment, we would bring a battery-powered radio that we would listen to all day long until it was bedtime, and then we'd shut it off. So just like Australian music, a lot of Kylie Minogue or Men Without Hats or whatever that band was. <laughs> and now, up again! Kylie Minogue, followed by Men With Hats. And they're like, well, no, not this again. <laughs> this is the only two songs. And then Yahoo Serious reads Hamlet. They're like, oh. And they'd leave the radio on all day long. And then when it was time for bed, they'd shut it off. Well, a weird thing started happening. Every so often. And now, another song by Kylie Minogue, mate. Love to love you. Love, love to love you. Da, 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 da. James would wake up and he'd hear the radio playing. Loving to love you is what we do. James was walking through the dark shack. Loving to love you, everything for you. He walks up. It's like, oh, well. He'd go to shut off the radio. It'd already be turned off. Walking back through the dark shack, and as he's going back to his room, he thinks, how come no one else woke up? Like, it was loud enough to wake me up. Why didn't anyone else wake up? Oh, weird. Maybe they're all just deeper sleepers. So he goes back to sleep. A couple days later, his sister's like, hey guys, um, the weirdest thing happened last night. I don't know if there's something wrong with the radio, but I woke up in the middle of the night and radio was on. James is like, what? None of you guys heard that? And everyone's like, no, I didn't hear that. Rebecca's like, yeah, I woke up and the radio was on. I had to go shut it off. But the weird, it was already shut off when I got there. Is it like glitching? Could the batteries be going bad? And James is just kind of sitting there being like, wow, this is weird. A couple days later, James gets woken up in the middle of the night. Loving to love you, falling through the sky. He's like, what? Loving to love you, you're always my guy. James is like, what in the world's going on? He gets up, and sure enough, radio's on. He walks over to it, goes to shut it off. It's already shut off. No one in the house wakes up. James said that this radio would do this occasionally. And it would always have the same pattern. Only one person would hear it playing. One person would get woken up in the middle of the night, go to shut the radio off, it's already off. The other three people would be fast asleep. And this happened to all four people in the house eventually. Apparently it happened multiple times to certain people, but eventually everyone had experienced waking up in the middle of the night being the only one to wake up in the middle of the night to hear the radio playing. And each time it was already shut off. James lists a couple other weird occurrences that were going on at this shack. He said every once in a while, the place stank. <laughs> he was super stinky. And it didn't happen every time they showed up. He said we, we did go to this shack a lot. So sometimes they show up, it wasn't super stinky. But when they did go and it was super stinky, they would immediately begin investigating the shack, trying to figure out, like, is it a dead raccoon? Dead possum? What? But they could never find the source of the smell. The smell would just kind of go away on its own. He said twice... 
He said on two different occasions, they showed up and they opened the door to the shack. It's not electricity. It's the dad getting electrocuted. Ah! I always do that. I do the sound effects before I even explain what it is. It's not even the buzzing of flies. It's hundreds of thousands of fleas. I don't know if fleas make any noise. I, I'm going to take a guess. If there's 100,000 of them, if the place is infested with fleas, you're going to hear something. He goes, twice when we showed up, is infested with fleas. He said, sometimes we'd be in this shack and you would hear the sound of footsteps on the roof. It had a metal roof. It had a tin roof, just like the love shack. But unlike the love shack, it's infested with fleas and stinks. It's possibly someone dancing on the roof. He goes, sometimes when we went to go use the bathroom, you'd feel something tickling the back of your neck. And it got worse after dark. He goes, the tickling sensation, if you had to use the bathroom after the sun went down, you're definitely going to feel something tickling the back of your neck. Just a guess, could be a thousand fleas. He said, I guess they had, they had pets. He goes, we would bring our dogs with us. More than one. Because he said, or it could have been a period of time. Maybe they brought two dogs at one point. Or maybe they brought one dog. It doesn't matter because it's totally depressing what's about to happen. He goes, if we brought... And this is such a... here. This is when you know something is going wrong. If you showed up at a shack... If your parents bought a shack, right? They constantly use the word shack. It's not a cabin. It's not a getaway. It's a shack with a tin roof. You're going to assume every so often it's going to smell like rotting animals. Every so often it's going to be infested with fleas. That's normal. Sounds on the roof could just be like the settling of this hunk of junk building. This is paranormal. If you had questions about anything else, he goes, when we would bring... This is super specific... He goes, every so often, if we had a dog who was pregnant, who came to the cabin with us in the shack, I don't want to be too highfalutin, we'd bring a dog with us, a pregnant dog with us to the shack. Any puppies that dog gave birth to would die. And they said if they stayed there too long, they would all get really depressed. I mean, obviously. There's a bunch of dead puppies. People are all like, oh, man. Let's break, let's everyone break out the Switch. Let's all listen to this Kylie Minogue album and play some Animal Crossing. Uh, but don't step on the dead puppies. Obviously, that's going to ruin your vacation. I don't think that's paranormal at all. You're like, and then I think a ghost showed up and made me depressed because my dog gave birth to stillborn. <laughs> You're like, no, it wasn't a ghost, you idiot. It was a horrible occurrence that happened. I'm depressed just talking about it. So anyways, if they stayed at this shack for too long, they'd get depressed. Everything else. I'm not going to repeat the puppy stuff. Everything else. Well, anyways, like I said, they've been going to this for years. James said that since he was one years old. (laughs) James, for your birthday, here's a puppy. He's like, yay. And then he walks into the cabin. It's all blah. Gets little X's on its eyes. He goes, I've been going there since I was one. Pretty much spent his entire childhood there, young adult life, going to this shack. Well, he goes, well, recently, now we're in the year 2023, recently he was at home. He was visiting 
I'm assuming he was like off to college or something like that. He says, I come back home, I'm visiting, and I'm talking to my sister. We're just talking about random stuff. And then the shack, the story of the shack comes up. We kind of start talking about the shack. <laughs> we kind of start talking about the shack. And they start, now that they're adults, see, now that they've been kind of farther away from the situation, they can kind of start to put stuff in perspective. It's no longer this fixture of their life because he's narrowing down years and years and years and years and years of his life to a couple paragraphs and a few paranormal events. For the most part, a lot of these events would be peppered throughout dozens, if not a hundred trips to the shack and twice it was infested with fleas. When we read them as a list, they're like, oh my God, why did you stay here more than once? But spread out over the course of, say, 18 years, it's not going to seem so dramatic. But he's sitting there with his sister and he goes, you know what? I'm pretty sure that place was haunted. And kind of chuckles, right? Because ghosts. Not everyone believes in ghosts, but, you know, there was some weird stuff that was happening there. I think that place was haunted. And the sister goes, you know what? I do too. I'm thinking about that as well. I think that little shack was haunted. And they start talking back and forth about what it could have been. Because it was out in the middle of nowhere. Was in this, it was already in an isolated coastal town, and it was just this shack. It wasn't like an old spooky house built, you know, in the 1400s, and some countess got her head chopped up. It was just a little shack, and they start kind of talking about what it could have been. And James said, you know what I think? I think it was the ghost of a little boy. I think there was a little boy's spirit trapped in that shack. And Rebecca goes, nah, I don't think that's what it was. She goes, you know... I always got the feeling that it's this tall, gangly man dressed in black. And you could never see his face. I just get the feeling that that's what was in that house. This tall, gangly man in black with no face. And James is just staring at his sister. And his eyes begin to well up with tears. He begins openly sobbing. And starts saying, you're right. You're right. That's what was in there. That's what was in the shack. She begins sobbing. Rebecca begins crying, and he's crying, and they're both just sitting there sobbing. And James said, we had never, ever cried together, ever in our lives. But in this moment, the fear was so intense. These feelings, these years upon years of visiting this shack, being in the presence of this tall, dark entity and not even knowing it, not being able to process it as a child. But he knew something was off. And even as an adult, his brain wouldn't let him realize what was actually in there. That's why he goes, I think it was a small boy. But when his sister described that tall Tall man with long limbs, draped in black clothing, 
He knew that's what it was. He knew immediately that's what was in that shack. It's not that he saw it, but he saw it. His mind registered this man in that shack. And he goes, listen, we were crying because we were so scared. Even though we were years removed from the shack, even though we were miles removed from the shack, it didn't matter. As adults, we're sobbing because we're still so scared of this thing. And he said, even as I'm typing this out now, he goes, I just, I just want to crawl under my blankets. Like, I want to revert to that childlike need that maybe if it can't see me, it can't hurt me. Just him putting these words out brought him back to being that little boy in that shack. And he says, he goes, this is really interesting. This is super interesting. His sister describes it. He goes, yeah, that's exactly what it was. They begin sobbing and they talk about the fear and everything. And now he later is writing this out and he says, I don't think that it's evil. I don't think that it's evil. He goes, it's not a positive energy, but I don't think it's evil. He goes, I don't think it wanted us there. I think it wanted to be left alone. But we kept showing up and it was kind of trying to ward us away. And and James finishes his story. He goes, my theory is that this ghost is the spirit of a man who killed himself there. And his energy is stuck there. And I've never been to Australia. I've definitely never been to the shack, but I'm going to take a leap of faith and I'm going to say, James, you're wrong. You're still trying to hide from the truth. Killing puppies, if a human does that, if you maliciously kill puppies, right, if you're doing it for fun or because they're too loud or something like that, you're considered evil. So why wouldn't an entity who did that be considered evil? I think this is an evil entity. And I think your family was exposed to it for a very long time. It doesn't mean there's going to be any lasting damage. It doesn't mean that you need to race out to the exorcist right now. But I think that I would... I One, I would bet that this entity was evil. I'm also going to gamble that there are things that happened in that shack that James and Rebecca do not remember and probably do not want to remember. I'm not saying their parents were part of it. I'm not being super sinister or creepy like that. But I'm saying those times when you wake up in the middle of the night and you walk to the radio and then you walk back to bed, what happens in the darkness? I'm not saying anything actually did happen at that shack, but I unfortunately wouldn't be too surprised. But I think it does make sense for James to go, no, it's just like some hapless spirit. He just wanted to be left alone. I don't think so. I think this thing was dark and demonic, and it was probably pleased in the amount of pain and torment that it was putting you guys through. Which, I mean, coming out of the shack and it being infested with fleas, that's just kind of a minor inconvenience, but that's the stuff you remember.
DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great week, guys. <laughs>